Hi readers and welcome to episode 31 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host Harrod, and today we are joined again by my wonderful friend Annie from back in episode 20 and she is going to be speaking with us in a huge episode about book lists. You were sitting there with a torch with, you know, bugs dive bombing your head. If you want to follow along and find out more information about all the topics discussed in this episode, you can check out the show notes on the Lost the Plot webpage at www.tintededges.com slash lost the plot. Also, just a little warning, there are some references to sex and drugs in this episode, probably at about PG level. Now, it has been a little while since the last episode, and there are some updates. You might remember our friend Erin Clare from episode 18, who spoke to us about her feminist fairy tales. Well, she was recently invited to give a TED Talk, and you can watch her speak on YouTube. One of my favorite things to talk about is, of course, street libraries, and there are now over 1,000 street libraries registered with Street Library Australia. If you have been thinking about getting on the street library train, it is much easier than you think, and you can find out more about it by listening to episode 9. And I actually decked out our street library for Christmas after hearing a great idea from the Canberra Little Street Library page to wrap up all of the books in wrapping paper so they were like little presents. And then I set up some Christmas lights and we were ready to roll. It looked so cute. I was also really excited to host a Yola Boca Flood party. Now, I had my first crack at Yola Boca Flood last year, which is an Icelandic tradition that means Christmas book flood where people exchange books on Christmas Eve. But I decided to up the ante a bit and invite some friends over before Christmas for some food and drinks and a bit of a blind book exchange. There was quite a good turnout and we decided to add an element of fun to the exchange and make it a dirty Santa. If you haven't played Dirty Santa, it's essentially like Kris Kringle, where everybody brings a gift, pulls a number out of the hat, number one picks a book and opens it, and then number two has the choice to steal number one's book or open a new book. It's great fun, and I am definitely thinking of doing this as an annual thing. Unfortunately, since the last episode, there hasn't been much Books for the World news, but there was a bit of a flurry of end-of-year book awards. The University of Canberra has named its 2019 Book of the Year, The Natural Way of Things by Charlotte Wood. Since 2012, the UC has had a policy that every first year student receives a copy of the Book of the Year as their required reading. And again, they've picked one that I have already read. Though last year was apparently Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and I must confess I have not read that one yet. In another Canberra accolade, the 2018 ACT Book of the Year was announced and the winner was Dancing Home by Canberra-based Barkindji man Paul Collis. The book has been described as Koori Noir and is about two drug-addicted Aboriginal men who have been recently released from prison. And I am so intrigued by this book and I cannot wait to read it. Aboriginal author Frank Byrne has posthumously won Most Underrated Book of 2018 for his short memoir Living in Hope about growing up as a member of the Stolen Generation. The award is awarded by the Small Press Network and it was accepted by Byrne's son on his behalf. 
The $60,000 Melbourne Prize for Literature was announced and children's author Alison Lester has won the prize that's awarded only every three years. She is the first children's author to win the award and is probably best known for her children's novel The Quicksand Pony. The 2018 Dromkeen Medal has been awarded to John Marsden. The medal, awarded by the State Library of Victoria, was first established in 1982 by Joyce Oldmeadow, who had curated a collection of artwork and manuscripts of Australian children's literature with her husband at their homestead called Dromkeen. John Marsden is well known for his young adult fiction, especially Tomorrow When the War Began. Now, my absolute most favourite book awards were announced at the 2018 Bad Sex Awards. Once again, it was an all-male lineup, and the winner was James Frey for a passage from his book, Katerina. Apparently, there were a few questionable sex scenes in this book, but there was one scene in particular that won the judges over. Unlike 2017's award, I think that Frey's writing is a little too explicit for me to read out on this podcast without getting into trouble on iTunes, so instead I'll just read some of the judges' comments. The Guardian reported that the awards judges at the Literary Review said that they had been swayed by several sex scenes in the novel, which include encounters in a car park and in the back of a taxi, but were especially convinced by an extended scene in a Paris bathroom between Jay and Katerina that features eight references to ejaculate. Frey prevailed against a strong all-male shortlist by virtue of the sheer number and length of dubious erotic passages in his book. The multiple scenes of sustained fantasy in Katerina could have won Frey the award many times over. And look, in a demonstration of extremely good sportsmanship, Frey responded to his win by saying, I am deeply honoured and humbled to receive this prestigious award. Kudos to all my distinguished fellow finalists. You have all provided me with many hours of enjoyable reading over the last year. And you can read all of the shortlisted passages yourself in the show notes. Okay, so not much in terms of book discoveries this month, but the National Library of Australia has put on display what is considered to be by some the world's oldest novel. The book is called Orunoko by Afra Ben, the first known female professional writer, and was published in 1688. Not only was Ben ahead of her time in terms of gender equality, the subject matter of the story, told from the perspective of an African prince sold into slavery, was questioning slavery 100 years before the anti-slavery movement. A second edition of the book is currently on display at the National Library of Australia in the Treasures Gallery, and it is definitely worth a look. Now, this is less a book discovery and more a book invention. The internet has been getting very excited about a new book format called Dwarfsliggers. The little pocket books are quite different because despite being much smaller than your average novel format, they flip vertically instead of left to right. I managed to pick up a copy at Canty's bookshop of one, and it also has a really flexible spine to provide more space for the pages to move. There has been some question about exactly how original this book idea is, and someone actually on the Tinted Edges Facebook page suggested that they had seen books like that when they were a kid in the 1950s. 
I couldn't find anything online to verify this, but it does look like that there have been some other versions from time to time, especially for religious texts in India. Anyway, I have a copy now, and while I'm not sure how much I will enjoy Peace of My Heart and Inspector Banks' novel, I am keen to check out how I like the format. There are quite a few exciting new book releases coming up in 2019. Incredibly, Margaret Atwood has announced a sequel to her novel The Handmaid's Tale, which has recently been made into an acclaimed TV series. The book will be called The Testaments and is slated for a release in September 2019. Now, you'll hear later on Annie and I have a bit of speculation about whether the series would be just a written version of season two or not, but it does look like it will be set 15 years on from the events of The Handmaid's Tale. Novelist John Le Carre has announced his 25th novel called Running in the Field. The book will be set in London and the 87-year-old author will be tackling the division and rage at the heart of the modern world. The Age has published an intriguing list of books coming out in 2019 and there are some pretty exciting ones on there, especially by Aussie authors. Author of The Slap, Christos Tsiolkas, has a new novel coming out called Damascus looking at the founding of the Christian Church. Aboriginal author Tara June Winch has a novel called The Yield coming out about a character who returns to Australia for her grandfather's funeral and finds a dictionary he compiled of the language he was forbidden to speak as a child. Graham Simpson is releasing the finale to his Rosie trilogy featuring the inimitable Don Tillman as he takes on parenting. Kate Forsyth, Melina Marchetta and Nikki Jamel all have books coming out as well. Internationally, Ian McEwan, Jeanette Winterson and Mark Haddon all have books coming out and I'm so excited to hear that Joanne Harris is revisiting her Chocolat series with a fourth book called The Strawberry Thief. There are lots and lots and lots more books so have a look at the full article in the show notes. And adorably, children from the Pilbara community of Punmu in Western Australia have created a storybook called Monster Party, which is inspired by creatures that live in their nearby lake called Lake Dora. There wasn't a huge amount of book adaptation news. However, Netflix has announced that they will be making an animated series based on the works of Roald Dahl. Ordinarily, I would be very excited by this, but I am so skeptical after seeing the adaptation of my favorite book, Watership Down, that was released by Netflix and BBC over Christmas. I tweeted about it at length while I was watching it, but essentially, even though the voice acting was very good, and some of the changes in the writing worked, though some of it didn't, but oh my gosh, the animation. The animation was so, so bad. The rabbits didn't even look like rabbits. They looked like a dog-hair hybrid. And the semi-realistic animation style, it just looked so clunky. The whole thing was like the animators had never even seen a rabbit or heard anything about rabbit movement or rabbit behavior. And it was so disappointing because Richard Adams had used a lot of information about rabbit behavior to inspire his novel. In book controversy news, author Scott Lynch, who writes the Gentleman Bastard series, including The Lies of Locke Mora, has faced criticism head-on that his books are unrealistic stereotypes of political correctness and that real sea pirates could not be controlled by women. Lynch, who have, if you have read his books, you will know is a master of the written insult, 
rolls up his proverbial sleeves and tears this criticism asunder to fully back up his 40-year-old single black woman character who has two children, who is also a pirate. And the Facebook post follows with a list of real female pirates who led pirate ships, and the entire post is really worth a read. Now, in book crime, Isabel Carmody was very happy to announce that a court has found her guilty of failing to obtain consent from the Brisbane City Council to communicate and advertise in the Queen Street Mall after she protested the treatment of refugees in December 2017. She shared a newspaper article featuring a photo of her smiling with the caption stating, I am an official outlaw. However, in much more sinister book crime, in a next level example of stalking, a man in China has tried to sue a woman in order to find out who she is. The man saw the woman briefly in a bookstore and when she left before he got the opportunity to speak with her, thank goodness, he skipped work and went to the bookstore every day to try to find her for 50, that's five zero days. Eventually, he decided to file a lawsuit against her for causing him emotional distress at the Dongcheng courthouse in a bid to get the court to tell him who she might be. Luckily, the court had the sense to not just turn him down, but to warn him against trying to find her. Back in Australia, a book disaster has struck the low-cost booksellers The Book Grocer. Following a storm in December, the bookgrocer warehouse was completely flooded and boxes and boxes and boxes of books have been destroyed. If you remember back in episode 26 on book disasters, floods are particularly bad because not only do they ruin books through direct water damage, but if it's hot, the extra moisture in the air can quickly cause all of the books to go moldy. The bookgrocer has closed their online shop until further notice, but I hope they're back up on their feet soon. Now, I do like to end book news on a high, and there was a great story about a New York school that has installed a book vending machine. Staff at the school, which is in Buffalo, fundraised for a year and unveiled the machine with $1,000 worth of books. Students can earn tokens through a classroom reward system and then buy a free book with the tokens. And this is such a fantastic idea, and I hope that other schools catch on as well. Finally, there was the most amazing tweet shared over Christmas that I simply have to tell you about. A woman shared two photos of her grandfather looking very emotional, holding a book. She said, my grandpa got Michelle Obama's book for Christmas, started crying, and then said, I can take myself off the wait list at the library. I was 353rd in line to read it. Absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, speaking of lists, it is time to talk book lists. So it's a very warm Saturday afternoon in Canberra, but I am here with my good friend Annie once again. Once again. To talk about our book lists for 2018 and what we're going to be reading in 2019. So thank you so much for coming back again. Anytime. So we set ourselves some goals at the end of last year some I think maybe a bit ambitious (laughs) (laughs) and some of us did better than others in some ways so Annie I think you set yourself uh, a reading goal for 60 books yes and I I thoroughly failed in that goal um, by what a third actually 20 books short I was well yeah 19 I think you got 41 in the end yeah and like I'm sure one of those was 
you know, a children's book. So. Children's <laughs> books are still books. <laughs> so I got I got eighty out of eighty. Did you? It was it was a struggle. Was it? Why didn't Why didn't you tell the good people <laughs> how much of a struggle that was? Well, okay. So it all goes back to I think August um, 2018 when I decided it would be a good idea to read Brandon Sanderson's new fantasy epic Oathbringer, which I think was about 1,200 pages long. So that set me back <laughs> a little bit. I still think that should have been worth three books. But anyway, I got up to December. It was looking grim. I think I had 12 books to go <laughs> with, with a month to read them. So I read a lot of children's books, graphic novels and novellas. In fact, I went through all my shelves to look at like what literally are the shortest books that I have. Yeah, and how, and how did you ring in the new year? <laughs> yeah, so Annie and I <laughs> went camping um, and I was desperately trying to finish off my 80th book and I made a very poor um, judgment call, like a very, like a bit of an error in judgment and decided to read um, Lonesome Dove, which is an enormous Western book. I think it's about 800 pages long. Yeah, of solid gold, but never mind. 800 pages of solid gold. <laughs> um, anyway, so I was um, desperately trying to read that over our camping weekend. And look, I will confess, I did not finish the book by exactly 12 midnight I think I finished it by about 1 I think it, I think it still counts you were sitting there with a torch with you know bugs dive bombing your head and moths yeah. flying around you <laughs> it was an ordeal <laughs> but I got there I got there in the end so 41 books which was your favorite of those books? You may have more than one favorite. So my favorite is a twofer favorite. Yeah. So I read the um, Robin Hobb, the Live Ship Traders series this year, and I read all three of them. And the first two were both solid fives out of fives, and they were the only books this year that I gave five stars. Oh, are they to. both by Robin Hobb? They're both by so that so the Ship of Magic is book one, and the Magic is book two, and oh, they are both right. stellar. So here's me just thinking you had a thing for ships. Well, I do have a thing for ships, and I and seafaring, and they're all very seafaring, and they're just incredible, and I love them. But yeah, they're books one and two in the same series. Yeah, right. Book three was a slight falter at four point five. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, but still yeah. quality. But still serious quality. Oh my god. So, yeah, so you only gave out two fives this year. I did. I was much harsher this year. Yeah, so I actually had three fives in the end. And then I have a sixth that, in hindsight, maybe should have been a five. So I had um, Release by Patrick Ness, which is sort of a young adult novel about a, a young queer boy growing up in quite a religious family. And his. Where's it set? It's set in America with like an overlay of fantasy and it sort of starts out this boy, his secret lover um, is moving away and he sort of kind of gets into a position where he can't be in the closet anymore and just it's it's over, it's only over about a 24 hour period. It's, oh, okay. It's amazing. Mm. It's so good. Patrick Ness is just the king of young adult fiction in my opinion like if you what, what's the name of that guy who did the fault in our stars something green oh yeah what's his face Whatever. Yeah, forget him yeah, he's yeah. garbage everyone <laughs> should be reading patrick ness um another five was a very short hardcover graphic novel by the amazing 
Sean Tan, who's an Australian graphic novelist, and it's called Cicada. And it's just, I'll give it to you after this. It'll mm. take you like three minutes to read. And it's just delightful. It's so, like, it's, it's brilliant. It's just sort of about this little... Is it Australian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's an Australian author and illustrator. He, did you ever read um, The Rabbits by John Marsden? No. Oh, he illustrated that as well. Anyway, it's, it's like, he's just incredible. And the book is sort of very short, but about this cicada who works in like big office building and gets treated like garbage by everybody and it's just it's just he's so clever Sean Tan anyway another one was The Eye of the Sheep by Sophie Laguna which is about a young from the perspective of a young boy who's got um it's never actually quite said what exactly he has like it could be autism or it could be some kind of developmental delay but he's very smart in some ways and very behind in other ways and it's just so well written um, and then, of course, is Dark Emu by mm. Bruce Pascoe. See, I maybe I gave Dark Emu five stars as well. Gosh, that book I is don't... incredible. Oh, yeah. I know. Life-changing. Life-changing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. How they... I see my country changing. Yeah. They yep. should just basically chuck out everything on the history curriculum for high school and replace it with Dark Emu, in my opinion. Yeah, I think Dark Emu was the best history book I've ever read, the best non-fiction I've ever read. And... It was quite, I thought it was quite poorly edited and it just didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. It was so good. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah, definitely worth a read. I just, it was just brilliant. I mean, you know, without going into too much of it, because I really think everybody should read it. There's this part where he's sort of talking about, I guess, native grains that Mm. Aboriginal people use to make bread. And like one of them is um, kangaroo grass and where I grew up in Victoria, our entire property was covered in kangaroo grass and people used to talk about how great it was as a crop for sheep and cattle and whatever. But like it just boggles the mind that it's actually like a food crop. And yeah, like, and you've never had, seen it that way. People just had no idea because yeah. because everyone had just kind of intentionally forgotten how the land used to be used. The thing that stayed with me the most, I think, from Dark Emu is there's a comment in it somewhere about how, you know, Australia wasn't wilderness. It was cultivated and it was cultivated like a garden. Yeah. And the idea of seeing the whole continent as a garden. So it's not kept like fields or pasture land. It's kept like, this, and I, you know, I sort of look outside and you see the bushland and you think about it like a garden. It was yeah. just... Yeah, it was, it changed, it was completely life-altering. Well, and I think that, you know, as as Westerners, I think we just have a really rigid idea of what gardens look like. I was in Indonesia a few years ago, and um, a friend of a friend invited us to come stay at his family's house, and he took us to his garden, um, which he called a garden, and through my eyes it just looked like jungle Mm. but like it looked like that because they um had planted they had like sort of big plants and then medium-sized plants and small plants and they were all interspersed with each other Mm. sort of like i guess you know how you have canopies in a rainforest and everything that they were growing grew edible stuff but because it didn't look like an english garden you know with neat rows and stuff it worked for how the plants work 
it just didn't make sense to me and yeah yeah it's funny like it's funny you know how you sort of have such a rigid yeah I was watching a show about these um this English family that has gone to Belize and they're living out in the middle of nowhere with these you know three very proper English small girls oh yeah um anyway and they were talking about how they make their money by you know having like a productive rainforest crop and they grow all this stuff Mm. um and it was funny watching it when it was on you know on camera it just looked like jungle it didn't look to me like a cultivated but it was like they were growing sweet potato and all this stuff but in my mind you know if you think about cultivation you think about yeah like straight rows of the same thing that are all grown in a square and then you move to your next square and then you have a different series of straight lines that grow the next thing but I think that's, yeah, I think that's very Western. I, I think, it, yeah. Well, it was like I was in Timor-Leste last year and we sort of hired someone to take us up to the mountains. And he kept pulling over on the side of the road to show us different crops. And literally on the side of the road, he'd be like, this is coffee. Here mm. are some cloves, you know. And they're just growing on the side of the road. And I think that, yeah, it's, anyway, it's just like a completely different. And people would harvest it. Like, yeah, people yeah. People would come and harvest it. It wasn't necessarily there by accident but yeah we just have such a narrow view narrow view that's right anyway so my my next favorite sorry i had a lot of favorites this year (laughs) my next favorite was called slayed house by uh uh, what's his name david 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 mitchell there we go there we go david no no david mitchell so slayed house by david mitchell i picked this book up because it was very short Mm -hmm. it was getting towards the end of the year (laughs) i'd never read it before i've read quite a few david mitchell books and i really like him and it was it's a horror and it was the most terrifying story i've ever read i was i was halfway through and oh my god you know my like my heart was pounding it was just (laughs) unbelievable and then my, a 4.5 which you know maybe in retrospect I should have given a 5 because I'm still thinking about it all the time was called City of Brass by um, S.A. Chakraborty mm-hmm. she's an American author who I think married an Indian man but she went to university in Cairo and she wrote a fantasy novel set in Africa and the Middle East and it's just spectacular it's so great anyway so you should read it. Oh, I will. It's, it. on, it's on my list. Yeah. So, all right. Sorry. I've been talking about my favorite books because I had so many, but worst book. Play uh, on me. Yeah. So my worst book was probably, and this might be a bit controversial. It's a Holocaust uh, fiction called The Seven Year Dress. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I didn't like it was I found it quite simplistic and I think Simplistic in the writing or in the simplistic writing in the concept? In the, in the, well, not in the concept. I mean, it's a, you know, head off to Auschwitz kind of tale. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, obviously I've, I've read a lot of... I think the reason I didn't like it was I've read autobiographies from actual survivors. Yeah. And The Seven Year Dress was a, you know, it's obviously it's a fictional account by an author and it just it, it there was something about it that felt off for me it Who's didn't feel author oh, i don't is the author that's... jewish i don't think so it yeah. just it, it wasn't i mean I, I, that could be wrong i don't know, I have to check but it just it didn't feel like a genuine lived experience and i think like i'm gonna mispronounce his name so i apologize but eli weisel weisel yeah. knight like yeah. that book still i read it in school and it still stays with me yeah and it was so powerful and you know that a lot of the themes in that book are about how, you know, we're just like a, a shallow skin away from savagery in both senses. So both the, 
Nazi guards and the Jewish prisoners that were reduced to animals you know and and like it was a really you know like in that book he talks about how you like to think that you would be the one that would you know give the starving person next to you your bread or your water or whatever and he says in reality you trample your grandma underneath you to get air out of you know when you're dying on these trucks which is so much more horrific yeah you know and so dehumanizing and whatever but I felt like in the seven-year dress it felt like young adult trying to teach people about the Holocaust which it probably is and I think for that sense it's probably good and if you'd never read anything else but I think you know if you're trying to teach kids or teens or adults about the Holocaust like why not teach them from the mouths of the people that lived it those stories exist well yeah I don't feel that it added anything I felt like and and there were bits in that that felt clunky and the writing wasn't great and it didn't you know I didn't feel yeah because I read a book um I read Night as well and we also read a book called Ellie which was written by um a woman she'd been 15 and 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 had gone to Auschwitz and had sort of she was very fair and blonde and had green eyes and there were a couple of points in the book where that the way that she looked kind of like helped her out a bit and the guards were a bit nicer to her sometimes but she was sort of very aware that 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 was the case Mm. um and and it sort of goes all the way from, you know, right at the beginning when she's, I think she lived in Austria, like all the way to the end. I think it was just her and her mum who managed to survive. And yeah, I remember her writing about towards the end, they just weren't even giving them food. Like they boiled water and put like cut up pieces of fabric and like sticks and stuff and were feeding them that. And they would just eat that because that was literally all that yeah. was there. And you're right, you know, or like that book, um, the graphic novel Mouse. Oh, see, now that is an incredible book. See, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I feel like there's so many other narratives out there that are just, they're so much more p- powerful. I felt when I was reading The Seven Year Dress, it felt fake. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, the story is not fake. So there's, you know, there's things in there, there's, um, you know, there's a bit where she's getting sexually abused by a guard and obviously that happened so you know they put it in there as part of the story to teach you that that thing happened or whatever yeah but I think it just didn't feel she tried to cram her character into as many situations as possible to be like look this thing happened this thing also happened this thing happened as well yeah let's make my character go through the entire gamut of holocaust experiences to try and I don't know legitimize the storytelling I suppose and I just I don't know I feel like when you read accounts that are written by survivors and you've read a few of them it just yeah it felt it it, it, it was off mm. and I think I, and a lot of people really like it mm. and you know I think it, it wasn't you know it's not a bad book to read but I think there are other options that yeah. are so many options so many options, so many options. Yeah. I get sent a lot of um review requests now I think because it's sort of been like another generation I get mm. a lot of review requests from older people who are writing um stories about their parents who survived the holocaust mm-hmm. and how that's impacted yeah, like them intergenerational trauma yes. yeah and, yeah, see, and i think yeah. that's an interesting thing as well i just i don't i feel like the holocaust of course people can write books about whatever they like but i think the holocaust is such a i don't know i feel like it almost fits into a special category yeah that to write a fiction novel about a holocaust survivor is 
like these people still around yeah yeah. and and particularly when it feels a bit gimmicky like and and are they taking up airtime well they are taking up airtime you know why like if i had it you know if you were teaching kids about it why why give them that why not give them the true story yeah or somebody's true story somebody's lived experience maybe people think it's like the true stories are too full-on or that book was pretty full was pretty well then what's the point what's the point of it i don't know that's what i felt i felt like why why are you telling this story yeah you know it's like if i wrote a story about you know a stolen generation survivor yeah like who am i to tell that story yeah yeah and why would why should you read my story about that instead of the story of someone who actually lived that yeah like reading rabbit proof yeah or you know whatever yeah yeah yeah. anyway that's so that was my least favorite book yeah so i i probably won't um talk about all of my least favorite books because um it's just you know some of them were review requests and i do i do have a bit of a policy to try and be a bit kind especially when um self-published authors contact me and ask me to read their books yeah um honest but kind but anyway but i think probably one that i picked up myself that really annoyed me was a historical fiction novel called into the world and i felt bad because i'd sort of won the content of the book in this contest and we'd gotten like a whole bunch of books and um it was kind of like a like i got like 10 books and stuff to run a book club with and so we did it in one of my book clubs but oh it was just so annoying so the the story idea was really interesting so basically the book is about this woman who um joins a french sailing expedition and is on this ship that ends up being like the first ship to circumnavigate australia like all the way around I, th- I think is correct anyway but she she joins the ship and dresses up as a man and pretends to be a man like the entire time she's on the ship so you think that that and people talk about her in their journals and stuff so there's like a little bit about her and it seemed pretty clear that at least some people knew that she was a woman but pretended they didn't know so she existed gotten this person existed, real yeah. ca- real person so yeah. there's a, quite a bit of source material to draw on mm-hmm. and um she apparently got into a duel with somebody and like you know it wasn't all smooth sailing but um pun pun intended. <laughs> but oh the the author her writing was fine you know the author is like a biologist and um, part of the purpose of the journey had been to collect botanical samples mm-hmm. from the continent. And so it was like in the 1700s. So it's like a little bit after. And the French Revolution happens right in the middle of the voyage, right? So okay, they so leave. So 1790s. Yeah. So they leave. France is sort of whatever. And then at the end of the journey, I don't know, like the king's being killed or something. Like it's just, but, so there's heaps of interesting stuff to talk about. And I think that the author drew out the interesting stuff, but two things that just ruined the book for me was that here you've got a woman who's got the gumption to pretend that she's a man and become a sailor on, you know, this journey to an unknown land for years. They've gone for like two years or something. And the entire book, the author wrote her as she was this really timid, unsure, oh god, am I doing the right thing? Have I made a mistake? Surely if you're the kind of person who changes your name and like pretends to be a man and you 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 commit it. You're in it for the long haul, you know? Yeah, the kind and I guess of person that wouldn't be gets... covered in the source material, so that was a, a choice. That was a choice. And and yeah, and if you're the kind of person who gets into an argument and 
I suggest you get into a duel. Doesn't sound like you're a particularly shy, retiring woman. It sounds like you're an absolute force to be reckoned with. So that that really annoyed me. I thought that the character, and she's just so unsure all the time, and she's that so much of the book is her just being like, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? Oh, I don't know. I don't. It just didn't really align with who the woman must have been like in real life. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that really annoyed me is she completely changed the ending, and like I won't I won't explain. I was it. like, don't spoil us. I won't I won't spoil it, but there there is actually quite a bit written about how this woman's journey comes to an end that's documented and what suggestions there were about the relationships that this woman had and the way that it was written like departs completely from that Mm. and reimagines an entirely new ending that I thought was way worse I (laughs) thought that the actual historical ending was super dramatic and like a real sort of climax to what must have been an outrageous journey really crazy journey this entire thing and um anyway so it just uh, yeah it wasn't the writing per se but the the characterization and the departure from the historical record just it just bamboozled me i was like why would you why would you do that you've got such a great story why would you make it worse you know yeah when state when being more historically you should email the author and try and ask that in a nice way we're like this is an interesting choice you've made yeah sometimes, tell me about it well sometimes the authors read my reviews <laughs> i had an author comment on my review this year oh really yes yeah, was it did. a bad review or a good review it was a mostly good review um it was a book about where the main character was a bird and i was like the best part about this book is the bird and i think that some of the other characters and story parts were not as good and i wanted more bird (laughs) and she was like yeah fair enough (laughs) (laughs) all right so new books versus reread books you did pretty well actually considering i know you like to revisit old favorites i do but like I'm, i'm i'm better now you had I've moved on. Yeah, you had over eighty percent new books. Yeah, and I'm comfortable with that. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be primarily rereads. Yeah. So I've I've done You've well. Branched out and, you know, found some good books along the way. Yeah. yeah. Which I will now reread. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a hundred percent reread. Yeah, well you're you're very boring that way. Yeah. Last year you insisted that I read reread at least one. Because so having have a pie a perfect... chart that has one colour is it's just a circle. <laughs> This year, that's what I've got. One circle. One circle. A blue circle. So, something that is a little bit more colourful. So, we've done pie charts again, so I'll put these in the show notes if anybody cares to look at look at them. So, the next one is genre. So, these are our genres. Oh, yeah. So They're pretty colourful. They're very colourful. Yours is more colourful than mine. I'm unashamedly primarily reading fantasy and historical fiction again this year. Like, more than 50% of my graph is covered by those two genres. Yeah. But, but I, look how much nonfiction you read. You, you read nearly 10% nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, um, I mean, a lot of the historical fiction I read this year was because I was traveling and I was yeah. trying to read books that were set in the places I was. Yeah. So there was like quite a lot of that going on as well. Um, yeah. So Annie got, your top three were fantasy at about 32%, historical fiction at about 24%, and non-fiction at about 10%. My top three were fantasy at about 14%, historical and general fiction were both 10% each. And then I think I had like 
Everything else is pretty spread out. Pretty spread out. I think, like, graphic novel was 6%, memoir was 6%. But I've got, like, I read a lot of, like, I read, like, horror, romance, children's, young adult, short stories, um, poetry. Yeah, very yeah, scattered. Yeah, very, quite diverse this year. <laughs> yeah, I was not diverse. Oh, you, you weren't too bad, though. Like, you had a few. Hmm. Um, so, all right, so another goal that we usually set ourselves is trying to read more women you did well oh yeah that's, no, that's, that's me that's you okay. <laughs> like I, I did, did well, well. <laughs> <laughs> um you you did better so you got 56 percent female oh no we're taking over good <laughs> <laughs> I got 53 percent female and then 2.5 percent various or non-binary can I say though that that my re- it's not reflective of me making an effort to read more women at all yeah I I, was, at no stage did I choose a book because of the gender of the author that wasn't a goal of mine so obviously I just am more attracted just, to those yeah. yeah I think for me the only conscious effort I was making was that I'm part of this um challenge called the Australian Women Writers Challenge where you try and you can it's a website where you go in and you can kind of nominate how many women writers you'll try and read for the year and mm-hmm. I always try and go for like I don't know, like platinum level, which is about 12 (laughs) or something like that. And so also actually, because I go and see a lot of um, speakers, speakers, like literary um, events or like author talks and stuff like that. um, So many of those are Aussie women. And so I'll often go buy a copy of their book and get it signed and then add it to my, to to read pile. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, but yeah. So, so that's how, I guess that's how I get mine. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's like not too uneven. I was pretty, I was pretty happy that I had a non-binary author this year. That was, that was pretty good. So, another one that we have often, oh, that we have every year, is the nationality of the author. So, and you've done pretty well. Yeah. So yeah, this is the Australian women's thing again. So I have forty percent Australian, um, twenty-one percent American. And then I think my next higher... Oh, I've got English and British. <laughs> yeah, they're not really... Uh, yeah, so I think if, if English slash British, uh, it's about, um, like, 14%. So, so that wasn't that wasn't too bad. And then I've got, like, a few other countries as well. And we'll talk about countries in a bit. But um, yeah, how, so did, how did you go? Oh, uh, it's a travesty. <laughs> so I read almost 60%. Um, American authors and I'm just ashamed of myself but this is what happens when you don't pay attention to the nationality of the people that you're reading so I it wasn't a goal of mine to particularly focus on people of color or you know diversity I guess in my reading this year and it's really reflected in what I read you know if you just read books that catch your interest and you don't make an effort to seek out different narratives um, you tend to read books written by you know straight white American Americans guys, yeah. or you know, straight white English people or whatever. So yeah. mine's pretty bad. And I only read a few books by people that were from other nationalities. Like I've got a, a few um, Indigenous Australians, which obviously they're just Australian, but um, and a couple of British people and a Swiss person. But that was about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and look, it's funny, you know, I think because we've had it sort of a, a bit of a goal to read from, you know, read authors from different countries and different ethnicities for a while and I think you know part of the like a lot of people like 
have said to me when I've told them about this reading goal, like, oh, you know, if you just want to read those authors, like, they're there. Like, it's up to you to go find, find them. them. It's not like, you know, and th- there's sort of a bit of this idea that, that um, literature isn't dominated by straight white oh, American it guys. It, oh, it totally is. It totally is. If you go Particularly to the fantasy sh- genre. Oh, my God. And if you go to a bookstore... And you have a look at, like, all the books that are on, like, top 100 lists, or you have a look at all the books that are on, um, you know, the shelves. Like, they are really, you know, they're not diverse. And so you do have to make an effort. And the books that you hear about are by these authors. So, you know, like, a lot of, if I read about a fantasy novel that I'm really, I'm like, oh, that sounds good. It's most of the time, unless I'm, you know, looking at a, a list that's dedicated to people that are perhaps not, you know, that don't fit that demographic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's going back to, you know, it was funny. I um, went to an author event last year and um, it was sort of like a, like there were two authors that were talking and then an audience that was sort of asking questions and it was, it was about writing historical fiction. And the two authors were women and the audience was all women except for one man. And... Of the time spent asking questions, this man spent 50% of the time asking questions, even though there were about 20 people in the room. He, like, he really, like, took up a lot of the airtime. And then I asked a question about, um, like, I asked the authors what their sort of view was about white authors writing Aboriginal stories, for example, or writing, you know, um, stories about Aboriginal people or the Aboriginal experience, and... This, this man, like, sort of chimes in and he's like, well, I don't see any problem with that. And I was like, well, I think it is a bit of a problem because it's so difficult for Aboriginal authors to get published. And he's like, well, if they want to write books, they can. Like, no one's stopping them. But, mm. like, I think that there is a barrier because publishers like to publish what they know will sell. And what sells is straight white guys because, yeah. like, the, bookshop, the bookshops are dominated by straight white guys. And so that I think... You know, there needs to be a cultural shift, and so I guess as consumers, we sort of need to be like the exactly. ones who are We're buying the ones them. Who, yeah, and and it's right that a lot of the you know there are stories out there to find, um, but if we go out and we do make an effort, you, you like they're there to find, but you have to make an effort to find them. Yeah, and I think if we make an effort to find them and we try and read more diversely, and those books start doing well and getting more, I mean, have a look at um. Well, it's like Dark Emu, for example. Dark it's just Emu. been re-released recently, and it's, like, flying off the shelves. Because it's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, like, people are more open. I, I don't know that Dark Emu would have done so well in the 80s. Yeah. Because I don't think people would have been... I mean, you know, this is a sweeping generalisation, but I don't know that people were perhaps ready for a, a story about, you know, that particular period of history, at, you know, back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and similarly, you know, you have a lot of books now that are being that are doing quite well that are you know queer stories and whatever that yeah. i think 20 years ago there was you know there's a subculture with these stories like ruby fruit jungle you know that's been around for a long time but it's not mainstream by any means yeah whereas there are books that are coming out now that are mainstream yeah yeah um i think that there does need to be a cultural shift about those sorts of things yeah and i think if you know you people keep going to bookstores and a, they want a book and it's not available and they they like so they're like order it in order it in i want it maybe like as consumers we can kind of help facilitate yeah a bit of diversity shift. in reading yeah yeah exactly. yeah and i think because if you just yeah you just walk into a store and buy the number one bestseller you know you're just yep. gonna and and it's true i mean if you're trying to sell a book to a publisher 
and you're trying to sell them something that's not been done before, they're not going to go for it. it. They because they see it as risky. Because it's risky, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, the more we read these books, the more other stories will be heard because, oh, well, Darkin, you did really well. Maybe we will publish this story about, you know, something yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's sort of, you know, also a good reason to not just buy books by the main publishers, you know. Like, so I've read a couple of... Um, other books by Aboriginal authors, but they haven't been by like you know the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Penguin and stuff like that. They've been like sort of by smaller boutique Australian publishers, and so you know, yeah, I think I think that's right. You, you have to make an effort, yeah, um, and it's worth it because some of these books yeah, and are it's amazing. They are amazing, and it's worth it for the books that are there now, and it's worth it for the books that will get published later because of shifting cultural attitudes towards what we consume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, I guess the next part um is ethnicity yeah so i have an annual goal of trying to read about 75 uh about uh, trying to read 25 percent books by um people of color and i also try and read books by that are um written in languages other than english that have been translated and so i mean if, if you take all of the books that were poc and lope together just got 25% but if you kind of broke them down into components I didn't I wasn't successful so. yeah <laughs> so I think um that's definitely an area like I said that you know you just have to keep on trying keep improving how did you go oh appallingly oh, yeah so I read 92% almost 93% white so that's going to be a goal of mine next year yeah or this year sorry so I want to read at least 30 percent um yeah, yeah. I'm going to make a big effort to read more diversely I guess following on from what we were just talking about yeah yeah and so another area that we try and read a bit more diversely in which we started did we start this last year or the year before I think the year before yeah because this is our fourth year of keeping track of our yep. books yeah Fourth that, completed year. Fourth so this completed year. So this year is our fifth year. God, that's pretty good, isn't it? Look yeah. at all the data that we're collecting. Um, so the next category is queer content. And so we try and keep track of um, books we read, whether or not they have queer content at all, um, or if they have it as a major theme. And I also have maybe as well, because sometimes you read a book. It's a bit and ambiguous. It's a bit, like, like, I remember the other year I wrote, read um, that, one called uh, Portrait of Picture of Dorian Gray. Oh, he's definitely gay. Oh, he's so gay. Yeah. But the but the characters in the book are not explicitly gay. Oh, but there's okay. a lot of men lounging around oh, yeah. painting portraits I, of each other, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I think it's maybe. <laughs> I think that it could almost be a yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we have a bit of a maybe category. So seventy percent of the books that I read this year were an outright no, which is pretty bad, but. Um, I had about, uh, yeah, 30% was sort of, yes, a major theme or maybe, and a 10% were actually like major theme, like which, and a major theme is basically when the main character is, um, like is themselves gay or trans or, you know, yeah. or, or bi and like, that's like a big thing. Yeah. Um, like, you know, even for example, last year I read, um, another short book. <laughs> <laughs> was, Sensing uh, was a theme a couple, here. Yeah, it was actually a couple of um, erotic short stories by Anais Nin, and mm. there's four of them, and she wrote this like long time ago, and one of them is like absolutely like a lesbian erotica story. So I'm like major theme. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and how about you? You actually got more in total than me. Yeah, I read, so I only had 60%. There was no, I had quite a lot that was yes, but not very many that it was a major theme. And again, I wasn't really seeking those stories out this yeah. year. Um, I read one called The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is a movie now, I think, mm. um, which I'd like to see the movie. The story was quite good. Um, and I bought it at a independent bookstore in Portland, which takes up an entire city block. I think it's called Powell's bookstore. Um, oh, it's fa- so it's the biggest independent bookstore in the Southern Hemisphere. It's enormous. How um, did I not go there? How did you not go I there? Don't Were you know. in Portland? Yeah. Oh God, you're an embarrassment. <laughs> so we spent pretty I much. I went to a marijuana farm and I didn't oh, go there. We oh, had God. one day in Portland, and I would say we spent most of it in that bookstore. They just had the most incredible, like they were just shelves like areas for things that you would just never think would have their own section like what oh like there was like one about so there was like some occult stuff but it was like really specific so it wasn't just like witchcraft this thing that thing like it was like you know white spiritualism witchcraft in their own section and then like this particular paganism in this other section like um, and they had like a rare book section and they just, they, you know, obviously because Portland is full of lesbians, they had like a really big, which it is, um, they had a really big, um, you know, like LGBTIQ section as well. And I really wanted to buy a book from there that was, I wanted to get Ruby Fruit Jungle just, you know, for nostalgia, but um, I ended up getting this book just to read it. Yeah, and yeah. I never heard of it before. And we'd just come from Montana oh, and I was yeah. looking and I pulled it off the shelf and it was like lesbian comes out in rural Montana, goes poorly. You, so you just I, like, just, yes. I just snatched it off the shelf and <laughs> ran. So, um, oh, so it was, it was great for a travel book set, you know, particularly because when we'd been in Montana, my partner and I had spent a lot of time talking about how horrific it would be to grow up as a you know baby dyke in some of these towns that we were yeah. driving through so it was it was a really great story to read where we were when i read because montana's really funny like some towns oh are really liberal very liberal some, some towns are like uh, so conservative yeah and we were in a town that was you know like a neo-nazi hotbed you know apologies to montanans but um some of the towns were amazing that we went yeah, through but one yeah. of them we felt unsafe the whole time we were there and you know, I had to pretend that we were sisters. So, oh dear. Yeah. you guys, sisters? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Whatever you want. Um, Absolutely. So, anyway, so that was probably. I think that may have been the only book I read that it was a major theme. So it was yeah. a good one, but it wasn't. It wasn't a thing that I was seeking out this year. So yeah, so I guess the um, Patrick Ness one that I talked about before release was. In fact, it was so good I gave it to a friend of mine, who's gay, and um, I was like, "You have, you must read this." And he, uh, and he called me and he was like, oh my God, why didn't I have this book when I was growing up? And in fact, I met Patrick Ness last year because he was at the Sydney Writers Festival. Oh yeah. And so I did a whole podcast on that, but, but I mean, he was just amazing. And I said, it's such a shame that books like this weren't around when we were growing up 20 years ago. And and he's not that much older than us. Mm. And he's like, I know they weren't around. That's That's why why I write them. Yeah, 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 exactly. But there's another book I'm going to give to you actually, which is just... Oh, so good. And this was actually a review request. And not all my review requests are that good. And I haven't reviewed this one um, as yet. But it's called River Queens. And it's about these this gay couple and they're Dalmatian. I'm sold already. Oh, yeah. and, and they... So they buy a boat. Oh, yes. And they do it up. Oh, totally. And the boat is very old. Oh, yeah. And, and they decide Have to go... Have you read it? Yes, I've read it. Yeah. yeah. And so they go on this, like, sort of trip, like, down 
sort of the Mississippi oh, and stuff God, like I'm that. Sold. Yeah. And like stop off at all of the places with all of these other people who are on, you know, taking their boats out. It's just. <laughs> It's so, that combines it's my so love of great fairing with my love of like LGBT. Oh my god, you will just wet yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and the other thing, my favorite thing about this book is that basically, sort of, no one really ever talks about the fact that they're gay, but they're always like, "That's a pretty boat," and they're like, <laughs> "Thank you," and then they're like, "Nice looking dog you got there." Does she hunt? And they're like, "Nah, she's gun shy," and they're like, "It's a real shame." <laughs> it's so good. Alright, so um, the next category we have is disability um, slash mental health, which is basically like, does the book include any themes of disability or mental health? And again, like last year, I sort of found that um, without trying too hard, quite a lot of books do include stuff about disability and mental health. Yeah. So I got 50% exactly no, and I got 50% exactly yes with about... 30-something percent as a just normal yes and then about 15 percent as it being a major theme yeah um and then you had uh and in fact actually another one of my favorites um uh the eye of the sheep like that was a major theme one. Oh yeah you oh, so mine was did. quite a lot so it was you did even more you had you did better than me yeah so mine was about 25 major theme and about 25 yes yeah, look at um, so, that. Yeah. I mean, again, this isn't something that I sought out particularly this year. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just kind of when you read books. I think also, I mean, I, I'd be interested to see what percentage of that is mental health because I do feel like often mental health is included in plots as kind of a plot device. Plot device. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many books I read that had physical disability as a as a major theme or um, yeah i i think i definitely had like a few where it was sort of like a cognitive disability yeah somewhere it was a physical disability actually i've just had a thought um especially because uh this author i follow she's got a book coming out this year her name's carly finlay and the book is called say hello and she has a condition called um i think it's called ichthyosis and it's basically where your skin it's like a head-to-toe sort of skin condition um, where your skin is really red and is like oh, super yeah. prone to infection. Yep, yep. Anyway, so she's got a book coming out this year. I'm wondering if maybe one thing that I should do is like maybe make a bit more of an effort to read books by people with disability and not just about disability. Because one thing that she is quite critical of when she sort of talks about um books and film about disability is that a lot of people write about it but not a lot of people with lived experience get at the same sort of thing get a lot of airtime. Mm. i don't know what we do you should think? add that as a category to our book bingo yeah yeah that's a good idea yeah so all right um look let's go to average rating my average rating this year was 3.68 Yours was 3.5 exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, how did that compare with last year? I'm interested to see. Like, are we getting meaner with time? <laughs> so you were 3.55 last year, so you've gotten 0. 0.05 Yeah, meaner. pretty pretty solidly average. I am 3.68 Yeah, so last you are year. nicer than so, me. No, I, yeah. On, so we're just the same We're average. exactly the same. <laughs> That's hilarious. I think I actually God, you're the same to, like, 3.68 exactly yeah That's yeah it is the same obviously like i just hand out 3.5s like candy <laughs> um all right so i think before we talk about book goals should we maybe talk about our book bingo oh yeah so last year we've introduced a new thing 
where we, which I talked about in our episode last year, which is basically we've established a bingo chart, uh, which I made available online and we've created, we're going to create a new bingo chart, which I will also make available in case people want to follow along with us. But essentially we've come up with 25 types of book, um, and arrange them in a bingo arrangement. So five by five. And um, I think we both got bingo. Yeah, we did. Yep. Yeah. So um, we didn't quite get, I didn't quite get every single one. I think I was, uh, I think I mi- missed six out of the 25 categories. And I think you missed about, yeah, about the similar, same. Yeah. similar number. Neither of us read any religious texts. No, and I don't think either of us will. We are godless. That's been removed. Um, we won't be... We won't be revisiting that category next year. Oh, look, to be perfectly frank, I just could not. I just could not think of a way to read a religious text and then review it in a way that wasn't. I kind of like, did start reading the Bible very briefly. Well, that's very impressive. <laughs> You're a bit warm. Yeah, it's very hot here. Yeah, it is. We're like, warm. is this the fifth consecutive day over forty? Like, we're we're melting. I didn't think it was supposed to get over forty. Oh, it feels like it. It is very warm. Camera is really hot right now. <laughs> We also had an earthquake yesterday. It's just like... Did we? Yeah. Like 3.5. What? No. Yeah, yeah. Up in Gungas. It was about at 10 a.m. So if you were above ground level, you probably wouldn't have felt it. So yeah, so we've got our 2019 book categories. I won't go through all of them now. So if you want to have a look, just have a look in the show notes. But um, they are... We have shaken them up a little bit. Yeah. And we've, we've included two of our favorites from last year and two that we didn't quite get last year and both yeah. of those are we didn't read any authors over 80 or under 25 no and i um, i do wonder if it's a good idea to read authors under 25 sometimes what you think we shouldn't no 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 i just i'm a bit i'm a bit ageist i sometimes i think that books the more life experience you have well, we the could make it under book. 30 no i think it's i think it's a good goal i think it's it's because you know part of the thing is that we don't like we're trying to read books that we wouldn't ordinarily read. Yeah, so that's kind of the game that the aim of book bingo. Like you get a few squares. Like for us, we included a few that we like, so it's you yeah. know you, you feel good because you it's like not just pirate a, book. Pirate book always yeah. a favorite. Yeah. Um, and you know we included a African fantasy square this year, which I think we're both pretty excited. Oh, to I'm read. so excited! I put in a book set in the jungle. I'm even if I just reread the jungle just book. Just read like, no read um, the mad ship. Is that set in the, the jungle? The life ship trade, but yeah, yeah. I thought it was set on a ship. So their home port is like a jungle. Oh my god. This book just has everything. It has it? everything. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And you know how, like, you read the book about the girl who dresses as a man and goes sailing around? Yeah. You can have a girl who dresses as a man and goes sailing around, but is really ballsy. Oh, well. All right, all right. All right. So I feel is like that, Is that the book you are insisting that I read this year? Yeah, but you have to read another trilogy before it, so I'm not going to insist Yeah, there's like 15 books. Don't worry about it, but <sighs> it's pretty amazing. I think Are they could... all set on ships? No, just the live ship traders. In right. fact, I think okay. you could just... I take it back. You could just, just start there. Just read it. You don't have to have read the other ones. Look, I'll, I'll consider. I'll, I'll have a look on Wiki and, and decide. Maybe I'll start... Maybe I'll do like one each year. Yeah, know? just read Just like read the first one. All right, you'll, all right, you'll love all right. it. That sounds good. Okay, so book bingo. So I'll put up our um, 2019 book bingo so everyone can have a look. What category do you think is going to be the most difficult for you to get this year? Oh. I think finding an author older than 80. 
to like age of 80 when they wrote their book i think that is really quite challenging um uh i think yeah i think like in terms of like locating a book i think that's going to be a bit hard i think um some of the other ones most of the other ones i think aren't going to be too difficult to find um Maybe like it like so one of our categories is like a how-to book, so reading like a practical guide on how to blah. For example, I've got a book over there. I can see it right now with my eyes, and it's literally the title is How to Knit, and <laughs> and I think that these kinds of books are super um, easy to find and really useful. But in terms of sitting down and reading one page to page, that's not so dry. Oh, so dry. Yeah. So maybe I might need to have, like have one. God, I'm so sweaty. Yeah. It's really yeah. hot. There's some dead, it's dead like, patches yeah, over here. Don't judge me. I don't. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. What about you? What do you think you're going to struggle with? Um, yeah, I think maybe, I'm not very into sci-fi. Yeah. In fact, I would say I hate sci-fi. Have oh, you read Dream Snake? Didn't I give you that period? Oh, is that sci-fi or is that That's fantasy? sci-fi. That's biopunk. Yeah, I don't know. Like, given that I love fantasy so much, and it, it infuriates me that fantasy and sci-fi is always put in the same category. Oh, really? Yeah. Because you like them so differently. Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah, I definitely think of sci-fi and fantasy as being very different. I feel like sci-fi tends to be... And I've, I've been criticised for this theory, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've always felt like sci- science fiction is sort of... People create worlds within the existing rules of physics as we know them. And so take like... It's either usually imagining a future world or a trajectory of how society could go given, you know, the rules of mm-hmm. physics and... Um, and try and explain how things go using science whereas fantasy I've always found is like people um, especially things like you know high fantasy or epic fantasy it's like people create a world with its own rules about how materials and substances and forces and energy interplay with each other yeah i just maybe i've just read bad sci-fi but i feel Probably. like there's plenty of like bad I'm, sci-fi and I, out there. I have i don't know what the word is when you're scared of outer space it's like thalassophobia but for outer space yeah but there's lots of science fiction where you don't have to go out of space that's just one kind that's why biopunk is my favorite because it's all about people being genetically engineered and oops is that unethical love it all right well it's a square so i'm gonna have to read it yeah so i'll or take time, time travel stuff is that sci-fi yeah oh. except that it makes no sense like Oh I, yeah, time travel is my most in, like my most hated genre apart from Outlander, and the only reason I can read Outlander is because I just pretend that this tr- time traveling part of it doesn't exist. Okay, well I have a book for you that is time travel, that is amazing, and I think you will love. And what's it called? It's by some. I'll think of it in a second. But basically, the premise is that um, someone gets set sent back in time to during the plague in medieval times. Oh, I'm times. sold. Yeah, right. Yeah, you'll love it. I love the plague. And that's science. And it's science fiction. But see, again, I'll like just I'll read it by pretending that, like, really I'm reading historical fiction. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you'll love it. It's so grim. <laughs> All right. Okay, so then what's what, are, what else have we got? All right, so 20, 2018 goals. So 
Your 2018 goals, I think we touched on before, you were going to read 60 books and you got 41. You were going to read five classics and... I got four. I think you got... I think, like, if we're, you know, a little bit flexible Is Good Night, Mr. Tom, is that what we included as a classic? No, The Wizard of Earthsea. It's yeah. really fantasy. Like, we're just lying here. It's but, sh- but I feel like now that Ursula Le Guin has died and it was written over 50 years ago and everyone still is talking about it... Like, so is Lord of the Rings a classic? Oh, or a I would say both. You would say, okay, all right. Yeah. All right, well, there you go. So I did get my five classics, but I did not get all my bingo squares. What about no. you? No. So I got 80 books, if we agree that Lonesome Dove fell mostly within <laughs> <laughs> within 2018. Um, I did get more women than men. Um, if you include languages other than English, I... Uh, and, and um, people of colour together I did get 25% No, that does not count, that clearly says 25 POC Okay, alright, well yeah. then I did not get that goal um, <laughs> And then um, a book from every continent I also that's did not an get on- No, but that's an on oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I didn't get it because I didn't read any books from South America Oh no Yeah, I read two from South America the year before And I read none in 2018. Oh, so. can I steal a book from every continent? That's yeah, fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's put that for your 2019. You've got, got lots a, of goals. I got a lot of goals this year. Well, I just didn't really meet any of mine from last year. So All I right. just add more. I'm just typing. People can probably hear that on the podcast. Okay. So 2019 goals. Annie, what have you got? I'm going to do 52 books, which is one a week. And I'm already solidly behind. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, 30% not from the big three, so that's not um, that's authors who are not Australian, American, or from the United Kingdom. Yeah. Because I did so appallingly with my diversity last year. Yeah. Um, I want to get all my bingo squares this year if I can. I want to read 15% from authors from who are people of colour um, and a book from every continent. Yeah, I think that sounds very good. So I'm going to go the same as my previous year because I think it is really has been really helpful for me to just kind of like make a bit of an effort so 80 books more women than men I'm gonna up my ante and try and have 33% books by either people of color and or originally published in languages other than English um I want to get all my bingo squares and I want to get um a book from every continent um now, so speaking of books from every continent, last year we introduced. God, how do you spell continent with a T? Continent. Um, last year we introduced a new thing, which was our maps. Oh, our maps. So yes. we had a bit of a scratching ceremony, um, which actually sounds <laughs> terrible when you say that, doesn't it? Um, which which was not quite as romantic as I was expecting because it was a bit stressful, like trying to find the correct size coin so you didn't accidentally scratch over the boundaries. Yeah, and also some like one of the maps is far less accurate than the other. Yes. Has- yeah. So I I did find it a bit stressful because it is very hot and we were sort of bent over the table trying to scratch out all of the different. Also, Canada is really big. Oh my god, Canada is so big and oh yeah, and you know some of the maps are a bit more accurate than others and. And weirdly, like some of the islands in Canada colored a different color to, color to the mainland in Canada. And I was like, are these different countries I don't know about? Like my geography is <laughs> not amazing, but I didn't think it was that bad. Um, but we've got like a lot of landmass down now. So Canada, Australia, America, yeah. China, China, like they all took India. a lot of time. India, you know, yeah. But I mean, I, it was good doing it because I saw that I actually got quite a few books 
from Africa. So we decided to scratch 2017 and 18. Um, and, and... Uh, yeah, we both had a few in Africa. I had yeah. quite a few in the Middle East. You had quite a few in sort of Southeast Asia and East Asia. Just realized I didn't scratch off Palestine. Oh, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, you better do that. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I, we definitely need to read a Russian novel this year so that we can get all of Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it really, like, took a lot more time than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I guess... Um, I guess we're talking about book lists. Have you seen any good book lists floating around the internet that you think looked good? I saw Obama's list come out again. Oh, I did see a book list that was of, because I, I do lurk about the fantasy um, subreddit on Reddit. And oh, there was, yeah. There was a book list that I tagged that um, was all fantasy written by women of color. Oh, yes. And okay. so I saw that and I was like, yes, I'm going to give that a crack. Yeah, that sounds good. I saw one, um, I saw one, so Annie and I are in a um, fantasy book club, and which I've talked about previously, but uh, someone shared a list the other day from Tor, I think it was, which was a real, like a bunch of really interesting looking fantasy books that are coming out this year, oh, which yeah. actually I think had a couple of African fantasy books on oh, there. Oh, well, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw another list um, that was books that are coming out in 2019 just from a whole range of authors and genres that I'm pretty excited about, including Margaret Atwood has a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale coming out this oh, year. Oh, it's dangerous. I know. My big, my big question is... Is it going to just be essentially season two of The Handmaid's Tale? I hope not, because that was. Or is it going to be travesty. something? Oh, I know. Or is it going to be something like completely different? I don't know. I hope so. I thought this se- like the second season of A Handmaid's Tale, the ending was so bad. I just wanted to throw things at the TV screen. Yeah. So if Margaret Atwood, I do. I don't know. I feel like. Did you end up reading the the sequel to? To Kill a Mockingbird? No. Because I've, I've refused to read it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. And, and also, I, think, I don't feel like Margaret Atwood is quite in the same position that Harper Lee. Yeah, well, because she's been consulting on the TV show, I think. Yeah. But, but whereas, like, I felt like with Harper Lee, she sort like of lived in isolation. To not to well, it that's definitely how it seemed to yeah. me. Like, she lived by herself, out of the public eye. She'd only ever published one book. And then all of a sudden, like, she publishes this second book, and then she dies within the year. Yeah. And you just it really sort of made, like, I... And also, the book that was published, my understanding was that it was kind of, like, almost, like, a very early draft of To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, because I think she must have written it a million years ago, and then someone got their hands on it. Yeah. And she wasn't in a position to prevent them publishing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've refused to read it. Yeah, me too. I've... Oh, yeah, I'd I mean, it's a lot of, you know, speculation, but that's yeah, where I'm at. It just seemed like the circumstances seemed very suspect to me. So I would be interested if anybody else read it and had... But I've read, like, pretty poor reviews of it anyway, which would make sense if it was the earlier draft of the classic rather yeah. than being, like, a standalone book yeah. that she'd actually written. All right, well, I guess... That's about it. I think that's about it. We've got a lot of reading to do this year. We do. Diverse usual. reading. Diverse reading. More diverse reading. All right. Well, Annie, as per usual, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining. You're welcome. And um, happy reading for 2019. A happy reading.
That was my good friend Annie keeping me honest when it comes to our annual book list review. I think we've thoroughly covered what we've been reading, so that's it from me. I'll be back with another book-themed topic and with lots of book news and book reviews. If you want to support this podcast and help to keep it on air, check out the Patreon page where you can support Lost the Plot for as little as a dollar an episode. You can also follow the Tinted Edges Facebook page to keep up to date with upcoming book events. You can leave a review on iTunes or you can subscribe to the Tinted Edges website. Thanks so much for listening.